everybody. Welcome to Augmenters. I'm Julie. And this is Jimmy. Hello. We are two business founders who started out as solopreneurs, yet found our greatest success when working with others. Mentoring is key to incredible relationships, and the Augmenters platform will help you get further faster because great relationships lead to better business and more fulfilling lives. You are here because you want to help others shine and see the light in themselves. We will support you in your mentoring journey with advice, tools, and stories that will augment your relationships to the next level. So strap on your ear pods, prepare to listen generously, and become an augmenter with us. Jimmy, I forgot my headphones again. No worries. Just turn up the volume into this next Augmenters episode. I think I just knew God would make an awesome podcast guest. Was I wrong? You were not wrong. And rarely are you wrong. <laughs> so I do relish those opportunities. <laughs> if only they happen more often, I'd be happier. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, Scott was fantastic. And beyond giving me an education in just addiction and recovery that I hadn't really had so clearly laid out before, even some of the simple things I learned, like addiction is really a disease of isolation. And that's where you're moved over time. How Scott talked about how you go from addiction, meaning isolation, to connectedness and coming back to community. Those three steps he, he walked us through was really powerful to me, in, including how he was talking about you have to remove the scarcity mentality to truly be a great mentor. I've heard the term scarcity mentality. I've probably used it parroting somebody else. And by parroting, I mean parrot the bird. <laughs> Uh, not a parody. Not, yeah, not, not somebody from Boston saying parade accidentally or something like that. But uh, the scarcity mentality being fear, doubt, and worry. And that when you start removing those things and realizing that there is truly enough for all of us, you can then feel much more open to make those human connections and show up as a mentor or in whatever relationship. That, and it actually reminded me of you too. You're very generous in the way that you approach people and things. I think that really was great. That was a great reminder. And it felt like what he was talking a lot about around like addiction had to do with isolation. And then I think you were kind of jumping onto it related to technology. What was in your brain? I wasn't expecting to think along these lines in our conversation twice. I kind of pulled it back to keep asking Scott uh, I selfishly wanted to have my questions answered, but that, you know, social media is an addiction. I think everybody would kind of agree with that. And that how in the last 15, 20 years, technology and addiction have now overlapped and that a recovery process, which could be via mentoring, can help really play a role in bringing people from the isolation that social media creates. Because even though we feel connected, we seem connected, visually we see people, but the connections we make on social media are not for most people. Some people it's great, but the numbers show that most people are more isolated than ever from using social media. And if is there ways to begin to help people get through this addiction of social media? And I think we can learn a lot from the recovery process that Scott talks about here and that we recommend 
anybody who is going to be an augmenter out there learn more about, especially if you're helping anybody with either a technology addiction or some of the more classical addictions such as drugs and alcohol. And I think what it reminded me a lot of too was, right, how do we foster that connection, which is I think the goal that we've had from the very beginning. We actually just released, Jimmy, as you know, but I don't know if our listeners know, a new product for mentoring program leaders to make it easy. So if you're part of an organization, whether it's an alumni association or a basketball group or uh, you know even a networking group, from work or things that you're interested in, that there's an ability and make it easy for uh, to be able to create sort of the rubric to have these kind of mentoring relationships and make it easy for volunteers to lead these. Because I think that is just one way for us to help people get back together and to feel more connected with each other in a very authentic way. So hopefully along with talking about mentoring and getting people excited about mentoring and having some tools to help people be able to do it, we're going to help create Again, going back to our rising tide of, of elevating mentoring. And if you don't have any addictions, which is, you know, very impressive these days, just having a mentor, you know, helps you get through your hard times. Completely. And I think you're, what's powerful about what this mentor leader startup kit is that we created Augmenters is that it can help bring these human connections back. And it's set up for volunteers that don't have time. Because by definition of a volunteer, you're giving away your time. So you probably have a job. You have all these other responsibilities in your life. But we're trying to make it easy for if you want to take on the burden of bringing people together, we want to help you do that and really keep that community that you've built. Building the community is the hard part. We want to help you with the easy part, which is keeping people engaged. Yeah, absolutely. And Scott brought awesome energy. And he's a lot of fun. And some great resources, a bunch of stuff I'd never heard I mean, before. And, and what a fantastic journey he's been on and how he's now a CEO and a leader of his organization and helping other people on a, on a similar path that he had to previously walk. It, 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 it was powerful. I was really taken away. Cool. Going away. All right. Well, speaking of getting taken away, here we go. Welcome to Augmenters. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing fantastic, Julie. Thanks for having me as a guest. Oh my gosh, I was so excited about this conversation, Scott. I have known you a long time and you are just such an inspiring individual in terms of just how you interact with everybody. And I thought you'd just be, this just be a phenomenal conversation talking a little bit about mentoring, but um, really specifically with your incredible work that you've done in the recovery community. Wow. Thank you, Julie. Well, Scott, I'm excited to hear some of the overlap, but also Julie said that you can be quite an entertainer and have a way with words. And on Augmenters, uh, we love to get crazy. So uh, be ready for me to ask some of your, uh, you know, favorite diction and word choice along the way. Oh, wow. Okay. No, no pressure. Fantastic. No, 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 no pressure. Yeah. Just putting you on notice. Sounds super groovalistic. How about that? We'll start there. In a way, Julie, we, you know, Augmenters is trying to be the mentorship of mentoring, you know, the mothership. So uh, we're bringing it all together. Okay. On our galactic journey. Okay, cool. Scott, we're here to talk about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Scott Hesseltine. I'm currently the Chief Executive Officer with Wooded Glen Recovery Center. Uh, we are a 100-bed inpatient facility in southern Indiana, about 20 miles north of Louisville, Kentucky. I uh, grew up in uh, northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C., and uh, was drawn to this field uh, back in 2004 uh, with my own personal recovery journey. Uh, I'm a person in long-term recovery, so for me, 
That means I haven't used drugs or alcohol to deal with life problems since July uh, 15th of 2004. So uh, coming up on about 18 years, you know, and in that time and and being in the field, uh, I've seen a lot of changes, uh, really gone from being a patient to a counselor to running programming. And at each step in uh, my career development over the last 18 years, it's always been driven by the question of how can I have a greater impact? And that first led me to going to graduate school, becoming a counselor. And then I asked that question, became a supervisor, wanted to influence clinicians uh, and help share kind of the experiences and the successes that, that we've had in the field. And then at that point, uh, around 2012, I asked myself that same question and led me towards administration. I got an MBA, a healthcare-focused MBA, uh, ended up uh, working as a director of clinical support and operations for the National System of Care I was working with then. And that was great. It was fantastic. Uh, That same question popped up around 2015. And that led me to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I was the vice president of addiction services uh, for a large community mental health center in Louisville. Um, Really led the um, initiatives for all addiction services there for about five years, uh, which led me to my current role. Uh, So it's just, it's been a fantastic journey and uh, one that is really driven by uh, the support of others. Uh, There's been a lot of people along the way who have taken time to bring me under their wing and to coach me, to mentor me, uh, and really uh, help guide me. That's incredible. Yeah. First of all, congratulations on that time. That is so impressive. And I love that question about how can you just make a greater impact? And that's, I think, something that even how we've started this is that idea of how can you make an impact beyond just the work that you're doing day in, day out. And I love hearing about the mentors you've had along the way. Do you have a couple greatest hits that you could share with us or, you know, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, I would look back even to my, what I call my previous life before 1995. So from 1990 to to 94, I was in the financial services industry. I remember kind of the first person in the business world that had a major impact on me was uh, Phil Blevins. He was the uh, office manager. He led the largest retail outlet for Merrill at the time. The first uh, principle he instilled was integrity and doing the right thing when no one's looking. And then coupling that with hard work. You know, he had a quote that, that I remember him saying is that, you know, people talk about getting lucky in this business and it's about luck. Well, I'll tell you, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And so, you know, he just, he had a profound impact. That career changed. I mean, that we could probably a whole nother topic and podcast and story around um, kind of the shift in my life scape uh, at that point. And, and really, I ended up going out to Colorado for a geographic change, uh, if you will. And then uh, was there for about 10 years until things dramatically shifted and and it was time to really make a decision. Uh, Was I going to continue to go on the way I had been living, which was isolated, alone and miserable? Essentially, I was living out of a car and a tent at that time. I was homeless in 2004. And so it was at that point that this journey started for me and uh, rolled up the campsite and drove straight through from Colorado to Minnesota and began that recovery journey. So the first step was in my business career. 
And then along the way, uh, I really say in this, you know, second chapter, uh, beginning in 2004, there's been several people both in recovery in the field that have uh, made a, a big impact on me. I, I really appreciate you sharing a little bit of your uh journey, especially with uh, some of the uh, positive lens or word choice around camping versus, uh, you know, homeless. I'm sure that with recovery, there are some very specific steps and kind of regimens depending upon the methodology that's being used. And I'd be curious if you could give our listeners a little bit of an overview just on what you think the really top level, uh, like recovery process is, and talk a little bit about how the relationships are important with individuals during that process. Absolutely. So addiction is a disease of isolation. You know, like any disease, there's a biological basis, a predictable course and outcome, and identifiable signs and symptoms. Uh, Characteristically, most folks who enter the recovery process uh, from substance use do not do so on their best day. They've typically wrecked relationships. They become isolated alone. In my case, I was alone in camping. You know, moving from isolation to connectedness is a foundation of recovery, multiple pathways to recovery. Uh, most folks start out in some degree of isolation and move to connectedness, whether that is a faith-based recovery community, whether that is a smart recovery Uh, or a 12-step recovery community. I think the common thread between all of those is connectedness. And going from isolation to connectedness requires certain things for the individual to be successful, a sense of humility, willingness to be vulnerable, and uh, being received by that community with open arms, with a sense of acceptance and loving support. Uh, Regardless of the pathway, Um, that you choose or that chooses you uh, for recovery. Those are really important facts, features, components uh, that I think are critical success factors for anyone. So Scott, that that touches a lot on to some of the aspects of just about building a relationship with an individual. I mean, being humble, ready to share and be vulnerable, and then like actually receiving the, hey, do you want to talk again and saying yes? You know, that, that is a step for a lot of people. Yeah. When you're thinking about, I haven't thought about it this way, but addiction is about isolation. It's not about connectedness. Uh, we hear a lot of kind of concerns or troubles mm-hmm. uh, of individuals finding mentors or developing great mentoring relationships these days because they say the internet or technology kind of gets in the way. How have you seen maybe the internet help increase addiction or even maybe polarization and how that has adjusted or forced recovery uh, methodologies to change with the times. Hmm. The response from the treatment industry and in the 24-hour period, we pivoted from providing in-person, face-to-face services to providing virtual services for our outpatient clients and then having to drastically adapt to our inpatient setting, creating social distancing, putting up plexiglass for our dietary separation between, you know, our dietary workers and patients, masking, uh, you know, hand sanitizing. But the big pivot, you know, I worked with a really dedicated team to transform the way we delivered services. We went from people walking in, doing an assessment, 
to be able to being able to provide a virtual assessment pathway. I was I had to send folks home that were outpatient staff. And then I remember running around the the facility with a cart, almost like someone on that show, Supermarket Sweep. And I'm pulling Love that laptops show. and computers. And I do too. It's great. <laughs> Leslie's amazing. And and setting up a virtual kiosk in each office and trying to adapt our processes. So I would say that challenge many many facilities have risen to that occasion and and you even saw that from the payer side uh, and then policy changes to promote and support that so you saw an acceleration in the use of technology and again there's something very different about a zoom call versus the energy that's transmitted between people in an individual or a group session i think the jury's still out on what one is more effective than the other I, i just think it's one more tool in the toolbox, one more avenue to reach people, uh, one more way for folks that are isolated to maybe have a little bit easier of a, a time reaching out and asking for the help they need. I'd really be curious on, with the rise of technology and Zoom, is there one aspect of building this relationship uh, within the recovery process that has become the most challenging or has had the greatest adjustments? Like you said, it starts with humility and vulnerability and then like being able to welcome like love into their life or connectedness into their life is one of those then the hardest when doing it as we try to like reach through the camera to each other? Well, I think it requires at least on the part of the clinician to be much more uh, attentive in listening, but also hearing what's not being said and then trying to pick up on the cues through the monitor. So for example, I see Julie nodding in agreement. That's something that if I'm doing a group and I've got almost the Hollywood squares format on my screen, I might pull Julie in to try to engage you a bit further or someone else who may, in my judgment, appear disconnected. So I'm constantly having to check in with someone a little bit more about what they're feeling, what they're seeing, how they're receiving uh, certain information. That makes it a little more challenging. Uh, I don't know if it's it's harder or it's just something that's newer, so it's harder. You know, and I think, of course, yeah, a virtual hug is nowhere near as good as a real hug. I'll give you a virtual hug. You know, there's a lot of folks that are just fine. You you can hug me through the computer, but get nowhere near this bubble. So no, you know. I, I, I'm full avoidance of virtual hugs. <laughs> there you go. Person hug right. handle, yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. It's so true. I know. And then you have to read body language like of, you know, one fourth or one you know fifth of your body. Right. Just to like be able to see. But yeah. And the faces and, and what that connects. But I do appreciate what you're saying about it does maybe allow people an opportunity to visit recovery in a way, drop in on meetings that are online with, right. you know, but just getting back to relationships. I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, it, and something I so appreciated, you know, hearing you talk about is of course the mentors that you had in your business life, but then also knowing the role of a sponsor. Um, And I think that is this incredible benefit you have in recovery of having somebody who's kind of like your permanent mentor and that's kind of their job. And, you know, if you're not in recovery, can you find that? So I'd love to just talk a little bit about sponsors and maybe how that sponsors and mentoring connect with people who aren't in recovery. Yeah, it's a great um, segue. And, And the connection, as I thought about this, becomes more and more clear to me you know, the sponsor relationship is essentially a mentor relationship, someone who is sharing their experience, strength and hope, their experience about how they applied the 12 steps 
uh, in their personal life journey, sharing up to the level of their experience. A mentor, very similar. It's not, it's not a coach. It's not someone that's trying to pull the answers that you have within you out. It's more someone you know, in the business uh, field, for example, sharing their experiences about how they've handled certain situations, giving their guidance uh, up to the level of their experience in terms of career growth and development or uh, handling challenges along the way in that respect. For me in, in recovery, the personal responser responsee relationship was foundational. You know, I had to, first of all, listen and watch. Listen to what someone's saying, but watch their feet, really. Do their feet and their mouth match? Are they doing what they're saying? I was going to ask, like, in person, having someone's feet and mouth match must be very different from online, because that could be an interestingly <laughs> shaped individual. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When, when I'm in a, a circle of recovery uh, in a meeting, and if, if, you know, when I was looking for a sponsor, I would look for someone that has what I want in terms of recreating their lives, using that program of recovery to do that, and that connected to in some way. So really, that's very similar when I sought out uh, mentors, you know, in the field and in this current career path I'm on, you know, I looked at folks that were doing well, but that also, you know, lived their lives with integrity their feet and their mouth essentially were, you know, their actions and their words were congruent and, and they had a level of confidence, peace, competency that I was looking for. And that so, reminds me a lot of sort of this Venn diagram. We've talked a lot about mentoring, especially depending upon where you are in your life, that you want somebody maybe who has that business success that you're looking for, that career, but then also lives their life in a way that you, you know, I have found my experience, I've gotten a lot of uh, folks wanting me to mentor them just as a mom, they want to understand what is it like to be a working mom? Or how do you, you know, take care of your family and take care of your business at the same time? So like you're saying, somebody who not only has strong recovery, but really has that sort of peace and that that way about them, that is sort of the full package. Absolutely. And I look for that in multiple areas of someone's life and where in whatever arena I'm in. So you know, in the recovery arena, if someone's, you know, staying sober and, and they're doing really well, uh, applying the principles of the program and the design for living that was laid out in the literature, most likely a lot of their areas of their life are going to be congruent with that. Same token with, you know, folks in the field, they may have success in one area that I'm desirous of, but I see a lot of other things that are falling apart. Their health may be out of alignment. Their relationships may be troubled. They, they may be doing really well financially or have that corner office, so to speak. But other areas of their life, I wouldn't want to get near. I'm going to try to pull you back into my technology question again, because I, I can't stop thinking about this. You know, with it, there's many different kinds of addiction. It doesn't have to necessarily just be to a substance. Uh, you know this way better than I do. And when you're talking about, I've never thought about it in the way you said that addiction is isolation. And when I think of social media and that people are literally addicted to social media or addicted to a video game or technology, it's bringing them out of that and reconnecting with them. Uh, if you have addiction that yeah, goes to a larger like community effect rather than an individual effect, how does that normally play out within maybe a more standard recovery thought process, drugs and alcohol, 
uh, as opposed to kind of like this this new technology addiction that's only really had time to explode in the last decade. Mm -hmm. Like, is there some analogy there? Yeah. And is is there any way about how relationships are going to be obviously important to bring people back into like our connection and our societal fabric? Yeah, I mean that's that's a really broad. Um, correlation, and there's a lot of similarities. Let me try to unpack that. Um, in addiction and in addiction recovery, um, there's significant environmental factors that you need to change in order to have the best chance of success. So, for example, they, you, you hear this term people, places, and things quite often. Um, you know, if you've got someone that's fully immersed in the drug using culture and lifestyle. And even that contributes to the dopamine rush and the excitement. It's very difficult and really unrealistic to expect that you send someone to a treatment facility like this for 30 or 45 days and then send them right back to that drug using culture and lifestyle and environment and expect them to be successful. So you've got to change your environment, your day-to-day -day lifestyle, you know, so then if you want to put that in the context of social media, gaming, process addictions like uh, food or gambling, you've got to then also think about the environmental context of someone's day-to-day -day life. So, you know, food's a very difficult and a good example, you know, people say to me all the time, well, I can't stop eating. It's like, no, of course you can't. But there is a way to define abstinence like you would from cocaine or heroin or alcohol and apply that to food, whether that is having a structured plan, accountability. And again, then the accountability comes back to others and to community. So whether it's recovery from a process or a substance, Community and accountability are key factors. The other piece I would talk about and think about is with social media, there's so much self-deception involved. You know, people posting that beautiful selfie that looks like they're on the beach and just having the best time. And then you go off screen and their life is completely unmanageable, miserable, isolated, and falling apart. So that foundational principle of honesty has to also apply to emotional honesty and honesty in relationship with other people. So I would say that recovery, whether it's substance or process, you've got to change the environment. You've got to change your day-to-day -day lifestyle and activities, and then also surround yourself with people that are supportive of recovery in order to help you be accountable and give you the best chance of being emotionally honest and vulnerable and open. So you have an outlet and something to replace what's most familiar and has become comfortable with something that's probably very uncomfortable and new, but leading you in the direction you want to go, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. And uh, how does this relationship of a sponsor or maybe more in the business world, a mentor, how does that sponsor really help and for how long with continuing to kind of uh, uh, provide context and lead to this new place and because new things are uncomfortable, unknowns produce anxiety, whatnot, how does that relationship continue to help somebody on their path? Yeah, so I would start out by saying there's no hard and fast rules about it being a time-limited relationship. Um, you know, 
I would say it's more based on the individual and both individuals. Is that relationship serving both people uh, in the way that it was intended? So in the recovery aspect, I've had multiple sponsors. I got to a point with one was great. Initially got me to where I wanted to be. I felt like I had a good foundation. I was looking to grow in a different way and in a certain level than I felt that relationship was able to provide. So with honesty, integrity and integrity, I had that difficult conversation. The, it's not you, it's me conversation, right? <laughs> and, and basically said, um, this, you know, this has been great and I need something different. Here's uh, the direction I'm going to go. Um, same thing in the, you know, business world, I would say, is that if that's not serving both people, because there's got to be some guidelines and some non-negotiables, you know, in the relationships I have, whether it is mentoring and leading, that are direct reports to me. And so, you know, a lot of folks would look at that as a supervisor, supervisee relationship. And while there's elements to that, I also try to infuse Uh, principles of mentorship and facilitating personal growth and development. My biggest success would be for someone that I've worked with and who has said, hey, I want to grow. I want to grow professionally. And this is the level I want to go. They're able to take the job I'm in. I'm happy for that. And I don't think that's a common place. And that's not always the place I was in because there was a lot of fear, doubt, worry uh, that made me think, oh, I've got to protect this. And I found by giving it away and being willing to have that confidence that things will go in the direction they're supposed to, the embarrassment of riches that uh, come back and return are phenomenal. So I would say that it's about the individual, both sides of it. It's not time limited. And there's got to be that base level of relationship, honesty and openness and ability to have difficult conversations. That release of fear. I could feel it. I just got goosebumps all (laughs) over my body talking about Uh, it. And that goes back to what you said at the very beginning of trusting the process, right? Trust the process. There is enough for all of us. And I think that is so big right now. And I know Jimmy and I have talked about it in various ways over time is this fear that like for the old guard of everything, every single industry, they release their power, then there's never going to be enough versus it's inclusive and there's enough for all of us. So that was a big aha for me. Sorry to quote Queen Oprah here, but the idea of to really show up as a mentor, you have to recognize that there is enough room for all of us. And, and the, the parts are greater, uh, the, the sum of uh, the individuals are, are the, the whole that you get from that is greater than the individual parts. And for so long, this scarcity mentality, fear, doubt, worry has, you know, blocked uh, the ability for folks to progress and grow and develop. And, and so, you know, and I've seen that these, you know, when we talk about the different generations in the workplace, you know, the, uh, the millennial generation I, you know, get a bad rap in a lot of cases. And there's some very driven and brilliant folks there that respond well to mentoring. But, you know, I've also found that patience and, you know, understanding that, um, you know, this is not an overnight process to get where I, I am today. It took time. And a lot of folks don't understand or feel the need to 
put in all of the work to get to that. And so I think that's where some challenges can come into play. But I've also seen that harnessed in a way that has produced amazing results. So I think just being able to, you know, understand that there is enough for everyone. It's not a, you know, scarcity mentality that needs to be pursued. Uh, You're going to get tremendous results by, by going in that direction, but it's also very difficult. I, I love how you just have these sayings like ready, like scarcity mentality, fear, doubt, worry. That's like going to be like echoing through my head whenever I start being like, oh, wait, let's not share this or hold on, I need to do this. And that's amazing. Do you have any specific resources yourself that when somebody is becoming a sponsor for the first time that you recommend that the sponsor go out and consume so in recovery for sponsors, absolutely. I mean, the one of the, you know, I'll just speak from the 12-step recovery approach because that's the pathway I'm intimately familiar with, is that you need someone that has gone through the big book in the way the first 100 people did it. It's essentially the forwards to the first, second, third, and fourth edition, the doctor's opinion, and, you know, the, really the first 103 uh, pages and the chapter of vision for you. You want someone that has walked it through and treated it like a textbook. And, and so for sponsoring, you know, for someone that's a new, you know, new to sponsoring, they hopefully have had a sponsor that has sponsored other people. That's typically something I tell everyone to look for if you're going to ask someone to sponsor you in recovery. I also am a big fan of into-action.com which is a website and there's wave files uh, by, I believe it's Dixie and Mary C who take people through that literature, the way the first 100 people went through it. And when it says do something, you do it and your life changes despite you in a remarkable way. So that's a textbook designed for living. It's laid out very specific in terms of recovery. Um, In terms of you know, mentoring when when um, working with someone or someone I'm working with is going to start with someone else. I really have a couple of resources that I like to rely on. I'm a big fan of John Maxwell and uh, John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership are principles that are transferable to mentoring, coaching, leadership, personal growth and transformation. Absolutely essential. And some of the things John says that really resonate and he's got a whole book on this, is everyone communicates, few connect. And that leadership is about influence and it's about connection. And that really resonates and I think undergirds a lot of what we've talked about today. John also talks about this idea of the compounding power of consistency. And that really is something that uh, resonates with me. It's about suiting up, showing up, doing the best you can and putting one foot in front of the other consistently. And that effect compounds over time. So that's one big resource um, that I always um, work with, with individuals at the beginning, just so we have a level set on understanding language principles that we can anchor back to. Um, And then the other person, uh, the book that I really use more as a tactical step-by-step approach to uh, mentoring someone who is leading a transformational change process within an organization is uh, Quint Studer's work, Hardwiring Excellence, is the book that I really, I mean, I've got it right here. You can see the coffee stains (laughs) and the highlights. 
Um, we use that to really have a standardized approach to culture shift, transformation, and uh, creating a culture of excellence. So those are the two things that are really foundational tools in the toolbox. So I really, I really like that. And then I think also too, it's important with anyone I, I work with is to find out what their why is. Why are you doing what you're doing? And so, of course, Simon Sinek, you know, has the need. It's not what you do, it's why yeah, you do it. Yeah, it's not your why, but there's a great illustration. There's a video and a comedian out there called Michael Jr., Michael J.R. If you Google Michael J.R., comedian, know your why. is a great, like, live performance that shows the difference between what you do and why you do it. And so I show everyone that as well, because, you know, what I do here in the addiction treatment field, there can be a book step-by-step kind of manual. The why I do it is completely different. And yes, it's rooted in the profound transformation in my life, but really why I do this is the knock on the door or the call from a family member that says, thank you. My life has changed in profound and dramatic ways. I, you know, thank you for giving me time with our, our, my son back. Thank you for, you know, and I'm, and I have to quick to say, you know, it's not me. I'm, it's, it's, they're doing the work. I'm just kind of a conduit. And I was the person in the chair at the time, but that's the why when someone knocks on the door and you remember them as a shell of who they are in that moment, and they've gone on to do amazing things that that's why. And those moments usually come for me when I'm uh, thinking about, hey, is this really the field I want to stay in? I'd rather go swing a hammer and and build decks again and do some construction work because I love that. Um, and and that comes to remind me of why I'm doing what I'm doing. So, you know, those, those are my main staples as far as the resources that I rely on. Scott, this has been such an incredibly energizing conversation. (laughs) You've been a mentor to me, just seeing your growth over time and how, you know, you've just grown in all these different roles and how exciting it is. So thank you so much. Thanks Thanks for your time with us. We hope this episode was brief yet bright. And now it's time to read us out. And remember, we are here because real relationships have the power to transform organizations and build dynamic communities. Go ahead, Jimmy. Absolutely. Augmenters supports mentoring that matters. Visit our website for the best interactive mentoring content at augmenters.us. Share our podcast with someone you care about, someone who needs a new mentoring relationship in their life pronto. We welcome questions and suggestions via email hi at augmenters.us or via social media with our handle at augmentershq. Shout out to our producers, Erlen Cato and Sean Omendam. Thank you. Augmenters out. See ya.